G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Audio Podcast Preview Round 10 edition. It's good to be back. I've been uh, in the Orient for about 10 days, China, Hong Kong. Uh, well, Hong Kong is part of China, but uh, took in Shanghai, Beijing. Uh, very culturally enriching experience, as I say. A very good morning, as it is right now, despite what time you may be listening, to Captain Carl Bianco, who's uh, very capably assisting me today in the absence of Mark Fine. How are you, Captain? Good, Roko. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little bit jet lagged, to be honest. It was a bit of a whirlwind trip, but uh, no, it was it was a great experience. Actually, an amazing place, China, and Shanghai has uh, a population equal to Australia's, and uh, Beijing right up there as well, with 21 million odd people, 24 million people in Shanghai. So, uh, yeah, wow. It's uh, both cities are amazing, and Hong Kong is a fantastic place. Thoroughly recommend uh, all three of those cities, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I saw all the photos, and there's some funny photos to come out of your your trip. I noticed something about uh, food that might have contained some drugs or something. Oh yes, the uh, yeah, we, there's a lovely restaurant near where we were staying in Beijing, and they had a course marijuana fish. Ah. They had um, the house shrimp explosion balls, which were interesting. Uh, there was fried enema, which I stayed away from, uh, pro- perhaps not surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, the old English is a second language thing's a fascination of mine, but uh, the food over there is sensational. And uh, yeah, I insisted on having Peking duck in this little restaurant we discovered. And we ended up having that three nights in a row. It was so good. So um uh, don't think I'll be touching that for a while. I've, I've satisfied that craving. Went to the uh, Port Adelaide Gold Coast game, um, which I noticed was the subject of a lot of cynicism here, and mm. I'd probably be the same had I been here. But um, you do see it from a different perspective over there, and I, I guess a lot of it, um, you know, there was a few AFL functions along the way. A lot of it's really about negotiating sponsors' deals and um, sort of business networking opportunities. And I think I probably understand that a bit better now, having been over there, that um, given the population, you've only just got to scratch the surface there for what, say, in Australia would be considered a good return. You know, funnily enough, um, one thing that did emerge was Gold Coast, despite giving up a home game, for this year's uh, trip, which was a no-brainer, seeing they couldn't play at home anyway. Mm. They didn't get a lot of money out of it. I'm told their figure was around $300,000. So they're uh, a bit hesitant to buy into that again, which is why you're having the likes of GWS and St Kilda thrown up as potential replacements. But Port Adelaide, you know, they've driven the initiative. And look, I, I I think it's worth persisting with. Um, I don't think it causes too many logistical issues around the calendar if the teams involved get a break afterwards. Yeah, well, they said that the crowd 
attendance was around 10,000. You were actually there. Do mm. you think there was 10,000 people there? Yeah, no, I do. I do. You, you, there were obviously a lot of vacant spaces opposite where the cameras were, but um, there were a lot of... It was a pretty ordinary day. It was rain sort of drizzling throughout, and there were mm. a lot of people uh, sort of shoved up under these marquees, uh, big supporter marquees. Right. So, no, I, I think 10,000 was about right. But like I say, it, it's not... I guess that's the thing I took away from it. It's not so much about the attendance that they draw. It's about mm. those networking opportunities and about also just instant getting a foothold in there in terms of development and stuff. And both clubs are sort of looking at instituting Auskick programs and things like that. At the AFL function, um, the Victorian Trade Minister Phil uh, Dulladarkis was talking about a VFL, uh, VFL, a Victorian club um, having a presence there too, and he also th- threw up the possibility of the um, AFLW uh, having a presence there as well, which I'm pretty sure the women would be keen to embrace. So mm. there's a lot of opportunities there, and um, like I say, it's not, it's not about suddenly having. 50,000 Chinese people turn up to an AFL game. It's about just sort of getting, tapping into the consciousness, I suppose, and more importantly, the economic opportunities that were presented. So, um, yeah, I, I see value going on with it. Uh, and just from a personal perspective, I'd recommend everyone take a, a trip there to see, not how the other half live, um, but, you know, just a, a taste of a different culture. I'm, I certainly feel better for the experience. Mm. Well, there's been a lot of commentary as well that the AFL are trying to expand the game, but they're not making grassroots football a priority. So would you say that they should be focusing more on expanding the game internationally or focusing on grassroots football? Oh, the latter, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and, and what everything I've just said comes with that caveat, I reckon, that we can't allow country football to wither on the vine. And obviously Tasmania's been a a huge concern and I would never be pursuing these things at the expense, pardon me, at the expense of those, um, you know, heritage areas of the game because it's, you know, it's like um, sort of not seeing the forest for the trees. You know, we've got to keep the game strong where it's strongest, and that goes to Victoria as well. Um, and, yeah, you'd hope that they, the AFL are smart enough to see that Taz, Tassie is a place that needs attention. Mm. Uh, rural, I hate using that word, I can never say it properly, rural areas are still provided with enough resources to keep the game strong and yep. participation strong. Um, big week in, in terms of news, and actually some... Well, it's not massive news, but uh, fairly important news coming out just as we record this about a name change for Eddie Head Stadium. Uh, it comes September, Eddie Head Stadium no more. It will be known as Marvel Stadium. And and Carl, you're a young bloke. I'm sure you embrace the world of comics. What, what do you make of Marvel Stadium? Yeah. Uh not a lot. <laughs> Look, uh, I mean, Marvel Comics, they're great, don't get me wrong, but having a major partnership with a sporting organisation uh, and a major stadium in Australia, it, I don't know. Uh, the, they'll be reaping the, the benefits financially and it'll be a great partnership to allow sort of the whole the whole family thing is going to get a run because you can take your kids to the footy and have them buy a Superman comic or a Superman figurine or Spider-Man. I don't know. There's so many different Marvel 
comics out there. Um, yeah, it's it's good, but it's bad at the same time. It doesn't it doesn't sit well with me for a number of perspectives. And I go back to nineteen ninety three, which was when Princes Park became known as uh, Optus Oval. Mm. And I can remember I was working for the Sunday Age uh, exclusively. Then we had our own staff, and we. For about six months, we refused to call it Optus Over. We kept calling it Princess Park, and eventually we fell into line. And don't get me wrong, I understand the thing about naming rights, and if you're going to get a heap of money out of it, well, you know, is it sort of worth digging your heels in and say we're not bowing to commercial pressures because the revenue streams are important? So I get that. But a couple of things. I mean, one... Um, this has always annoyed me about what this does to the recording of history. And I've, I've found myself so many times over the years, even with, with Docklands, um, going, okay, something happened at that stadium in 2002. So what was it called then? Was it, cause we've had, this will be the fourth different name. We started off with Colonial mm. Stadium. Uh, that was 2000 to 2002. Then it became Telstra Dome, mm. 2003 to the end of 2009. Then it became Etihad Stadium. So t- technically, you've got to sort of look at when something happened and go, okay, what was it actually being called then? Because to call it what it's called now is historically inaccurate. Now, the other stadium this has happened at is down at Geelong, which was, yeah. <laughs> I think it was Shell Stadium. And then it became Skilled Stadium and then Simmons Stadium. Now, of course, it's GMHBA Stadium. So it's it sort of, you know, like I'm pretty good on my football history. I didn't think that in the course of my job I'd have to be familiar with corporate sponsorship history as well just so I could get my facts right. So I don't like it from that perspective, the sort of, um, you know, the rewriting of history in, t- in terms of the... Uh, the name of, of the stadium and Marvel. I mean, I don't know. The cynic in me sort of thinks, well, it's probably in keeping with the comic like nature of much of the media today, Carl, which perhaps <laughs> is a, a subject for Media Watch. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I can see already there'll be lots of, in fact, I was going to say there'll be lots of bad headlines, but that was before I realised there aren't any sub-editors to write headlines anymore, and headlines as we knew them don't really exist now because they're all tailored for search engines, so the art of headline writing has been lost as well, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of references to... Was Superman a, is Superman a Marvel comic? Yeah, com- I think so. Yeah. Okay, so there'll be Superman, there'll be Avenging various other things. Uh, see, I haven't even watched any of these Avengers-type movies, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, my superhero knowledge isn't great. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure the whole time Waverly was around, they never had a naming partner, did they? Uh, no. VFL no. Park never had a naming partner, and that no. was owned by the VFL. Yep, although there was a name change. I remember they, uh, they told us to cease referring to it as VFL Park. I guess that must have been when the AFL name came in in 1990 and we started calling it Waverley Park as right. well in the in the last decade or so of that existence. But mm. now I'm pretty sure Optus Oval in 93 was the first one. Interestingly, I've had, um, just since this news has emerged, a few people in Perth are saying to me that even though that's new Optus Stadium, that in a lot of places, including on, I think on their transport 
network, it's it's been called Perth Stadium, and I think they've got a step ahead and thought, well, what if the naming rights change? We can't sort of be party to that. Yeah, so yeah. it sort of throws up all these logistical issues, which, and a few, quite, I've tweeted a bit about this already this morning, and a lot of people coming back to me and saying, well, we've never called it Etihad Stadium, we always call it Dockland. So there'd yeah. sort of be a, there'd be a sort of poetic justice and a bit of, power of the people, I reckon, if people just got sick of constantly changing the name references and now just called it Docklands, because <laughs> the precinct is Docklands. Yeah. And Geelong people tell me everyone there still calls it Kidinia Park. Park. Yeah. So, um, you know, may, maybe the uh, the corporate, the might of the corporate dollar won't hold sway in these things. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a funny one. We'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. But I reckon they should just keep it simple. Call it by the call the grounds by their traditional name. You don't see the MCG getting any sponsorship. No, well that's that's a bridge too far. I, I can <laughs> tell. No, seriously, I, I I don't think anyone would dare try and get naming rights for the MCG. In, and and there's a government issue there too because the sure. uh, the government is in on the MCG trust. So I, I doubt they'd but be aware. What of if that. someone like Qantas, for an, as an example, a major airline, mm. you know, they had an affiliation with the Australian cricket team. Yeah. What if they were to come out and say we want to offer a billion dollars to have the co-naming rights or the naming rights of the MCG? So it'd have to be called the Qantas Melbourne Cricket Ground. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I, a, a billion dollars. I can't say that, yeah, but I mean, it, it would be a bridge too far. No, that is. There, there are certain lines you do not cross, and the MCG name is one of them. You know, funnily enough, just as you said that, I, I still my first sort of memory of any of this was back in 1980 and Mullinex. You know, Mullinex, they make um, cooking products and yeah, stuff. Yeah, They took out sponsorship of that year's grand final and it, it was the Mullinex grand final. But you don't ever hear it referred to as Richmond beat Collingwood by... 81 points in the 1980 Mullinex Grand Final. So, you know, some of, uh, some of the sort of uh, entrance into the public consciousness that sponsors try to pull just doesn't wash. MCG, nah, it won't happen. So put, yeah. your, put your mind at ease on that just one. Just a thought, just a thought. Now, the other sort of news item in the last couple of days I think we should talk about is uh, what might have come as a surprise to people, but Dane Beams standing down as mm. Brisbane captain and also part of their leadership group and uh, making what I thought was a really courageous sort of public announcement about this and the fact that since the um, sad passing of his father earlier this year that, you know, he's played under duress and he hasn't been in the right headspace to do the job justice. And perversely, in a way, I, I think that's also a sign of great leadership to have mm. the courage to do that. And I'm a huge rap for Dane Beams. I, I, I think he's a really nice bloke. I reckon he's a consummate professional as far as his football goes. And I reckon he's, he's a good leader. And I've said since he was appointed captain, I think he will be one of the, the great captains of, of the modern AFL scene. And I still think that will be the case. Mm. I, I, I'm hoping, and I'm sure Brisbane will be party to this too, that when he does feel he's in the right space, they'll have no qualms about returning him to that captaincy role. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, football means different things to different people. But in the in the case of Dane, football was affiliated with his father uh, and he had a close bond with his father. So he, he sort of, he doesn't hate football, he loves football, but 
as we've mentioned, with the passing of his father, it sort of made it difficult for him to be in the right mindset when he plays football to sort of lead a football club as their as a main leader and their captain. So I think he's, as you said, he's courageous and, he, and he's made the best decision for himself and what he thinks is the best decision for the club as well moving forward. So Zorko becomes the, the captain of the club. Um, but yeah, that just sort of, as you said, shows the leader that he is by standing up and, and rather than going the whole season and not being 100% in the job, has stepped down early enough in the I, season. I think it's also an indication too that uh, mental health issues are no longer taboo and they're no longer necessarily seen as a sign of a weakness of mm. sorts. In fact, I read a, there was a great piece, uh, Conrad Marshall, who wrote the fantastic book about yep. Richmond last year, um, wrote a piece about this for Good Weekend, I think last weekend it was about the embracing of vulnerability on the part of sporting organisations and how that has become a strength when players can acknowledge each other's frailties and almost, you know, be embraced more by their teammates as a result and collectively sort of develop a stronger bond as a result, and that was a big part of Richmond's uh, great success last year. And mm. anyone who's read that book, um, Yellow and Black, will know what we're talking about there. And I, I think it's a great thing that, um, you know, look, so many people have issues with their mental health. So many people have um, experiences with depression along the journey. And I, I think it's really important that we see this as you know, not something a bit taboo or a bit uh, a bit weak, but, you know, an illness in the same way as, you know, people get the cold, uh, cold or the flu or something. So I think it's a good indication that we're becoming more mature and able to have those discussions. And I, I really commend Beamsy for doing that. And mm. obviously we wish him well with, uh, you know, he talked about uh, getting help for these issues and uh, all the best to him in terms of recovering from that. And... Um, you know, he, he will continue being a great footballer for Brisbane and hopefully, um, you know, sometime in the not-too-distant future again return to that leadership mantle and, and do it as well as he has up till now. So uh, good on him, I say. Yeah, agreed, 100%. Wish him all the best. All right, let's move on to our next segment. On Footyology Media Watch. All right, that part of the show where uh, all our media peers keep uh, half an ear cocked to see if we're slagging them off this week. Although, uh, I'm led to believe, Carl, that uh, you and Finey, in my absence, decided to take this segment in an unusually positive direction last week. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We we injected some positivity into Media Watch last week. How'd you do that? We decided to have a look at some of the best commentators out and newcomers to commentary in football media this year so far. So finally brought up Chris Judd and Lee Montagna. He was a big fan of them. Yeah, no, they've been good. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Not bad. And I decided to bring in Michael Warner from 3AW. I thought he's been pretty good as a journalist. Mm. There's a lot of journos out there that have media appearances on radio and TV, but just from listening to what he has to say and seeing some stuff on social media as well. I've been a pretty big fan of his this year. Okay. No, I, I concur on that. Well, uh, there you go. There's your positivity. And uh, mm. good news is I'm back now to turn it all negative again and Great. slag everyone off. So, um, look, I, I've got a, a bit of a bee in my bonnet and have had for a while uh, about, in a media context, the reporting of free agency 
and not just free agents, but potential um, shifts of players from club to club and that whole thing about contracts and re-signings and negotiations, etc. Um, in a nutshell, I can't stand it. It bores the absolute crap out of me um, and I think it's become a very easy and sort of lazy journalistic vehicle for a lot of people in the football media to concentrate on in lieu of talking about other things that the public want to know about. Now, that's not to say that if a big name is going to change clubs, there isn't a degree of public interest, because of course there is, but there's such a lead-up to this, Captain, that, you, you know, you've got the uh, the list of free agents gets put out pretty early in the year, and then we have to go through, inevitably now, a season of whoever the biggest name on that list is. Will he go here? Will he go there? Any little sort of uh, crumb of... Um, speculation, if you like, from either management or someone involved at that player's club or a rival club saying, oh, yeah, we wouldn't mind having him, sort of leads to this business of speculation over and over and over again, repeated ad nauseum. And uh, I, I was you know, keeping sort of half an eye on the media whilst I was in China, and I, I noticed we seem to be in for another big round of it right now at the moment, people talking about Jordan Degoe and some huge offer, I think North Melbourne were going to make for him. And mm. uh, what was the one you were telling me before? I've heard that Mitch McGovern's going to end up in Sydney. I don't know if it's going to be GWS or Sydney, but uh, he's he had a pretty big offer tabled to him to move to Sydney. Great, great. Okay, so uh, the the basis of that reporting is what? Someone told someone who told someone's next-door neighbour. Probably. Told, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Much. No, I heard a good one the other day. I heard that the, uh, the Pope... Was actually uh, actually speculation about the Pope transferring to the uh, Protestant Church from ah, the Catholic right. Church, which uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know who'd tick off on on that one actually. Uh, whether the Vatican has a, a sort of a ten year rule or something like that, but yeah, okay, I, I I'm being a bit stupid here, but I don't know. Look, as as a as a punter, I'm talking to you now as a rank and file footy. Supported. Are, are you interested in reading six months of speculation about this name or that changing clubs? I've had a bit of a think about it, and I think this could be the solution to free agency. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about having a mid-year draft. I reckon what you do is you announce that that's where free agency can be addressed, and you leave the speculation to about a month out from the mid-year draft. You have that, and then you have end of year as well, so that... Any of the high-profile names out there, say a Buddy Franklin was up for a new contract uh, or he's a free agent, you, you address it halfway through the year and put any supporters out of their misery. Okay, but given this is Media Watch and we're talking from a media context, doesn't that just lead to a second round of speculation halfway through the season? From a media perspective, it gets rid of a bulk of the ones that have been on every journalist's mind at the start of the season. Yeah. That's what it eliminates. But then it creates... I, I, I think it would eliminate the, the higher profile names and then your lesser profile names would be addressed in the back half of the season. So there'd be less of a need to bring up free agency throughout a, basically the bulk of the footy season. So this is the irony of half the reason free agency was introduced in the first place was to cater to... Not necessarily the highest profile players, but sort of second tier players who were starved of opportunity and could get a chance to go elsewhere. But the media is the media. They're not ever going to be as interested in 
you know, player number 30 on the list as a Paddy Dangerfield or a Dustin Martin or someone like that. Yeah, but I reckon if you want to eliminate the constant reporting of uh, high-profile free agents throughout the whole footy season, get it over and done with early on in the year. Yeah, no, look, I'm not, I'm not um, sort of dismissing that out of hand. But, uh, I don't know, look, I guess so much of the footy media business is about speculation. I mean, we're, we're going to preview the games in round 10. That's... Speculation, but you sort of get that. I, I reckon I've always felt that this whole obsession with contracts and, and, you know, where, where's this guy going to be next year or the year after is sort of, um, it's, it's lazy in the sense that, you know, you can find, surely find officials at most clubs to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, if he was available, we'd be interested in, in getting him. And that provides the basis for, not much, really, just a whole lot of recapping of the player's contract history or whatever. There are things that are actually happening that aren't just speculation that can be talked about. And to me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about the game. I love the game and I love reporting of the game. And I've said this before, one of my favourite sort of segments in the media these days is the, um, the hour that David King and Glenn Luff do on SEN mm. uh, with Andy Ma now, I think on on Monday afternoon. Pure and footy, is that what it is? Pure footy. Sorry, I just got, I couldn't remember the name for a minute. Which is poor saying I work for SEN, isn't it? So apologies, guys. But <laughs> you know that that greater fleshing out of why results happen or why teams are playing well or badly. Surely there's a lot more room for that in the footy media. You, if you take the volume of everything that's written and spoken about in footy, which is a lot, mm. um, what percentage of it actually goes to those lengths to explain why the results, which are the foundation of the whole competition, why they are happening? And my answer to that would be not very much because no. it requires a fair bit of research and it requires a fair bit of understanding of what statistics are important and how sides and coaches uh how sides play and and why coaches get their teams to play in particular ways but that's not beyond the capabilities of today's crop of football media i mean enough of us are interested in that i i don't sort of to me that's sort of tied up with not enough people coming into the business now who are actually that passionate and obsessed about Football, the game. And we've touched on this before in this segment. There's a lot of people coming into the footy media now who, I'm not saying they're not interested in the game, but the interest only goes so far. It's only sort of skin deep. And a bigger interest to them is, you know, a headline or or actually the football media more so than the actual football. And to me, that's just putting the cart before the horse. And I... Personally, as a as a fan, not as a media person, I would always prefer to read more about. Okay, well, like say Melbourne, for instance. Melbourne yep. have had four great wins in a row. Uh, how significant are those wins being given the quality of the opposition? How are they? They're scoring heavily. Why are they scoring heavily? Where are they proving superior to their opposition? West Coast. I mean, West Coast for me, is the football story of this season thus far. Mm. Hardly anyone tipped them to make the eight this year, and here they are at the top of the ladder, having just knocked over the reigning premiers mm. and winning eight games in a row. How has this happened? Now, I reckon if you sifted through the entirety of the football media this season, 
the amount that's actually been written and spoken about why a West Coast playing so well would be negligible. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. The same could be argued about why North Melbourne playing good football this season. Yeah. Because North Melbourne and West Coast, both two teams that we least expected to be competitive in the eight this year. Okay, so why do you think, again, as a punter, why do you think you're not reading much about that? Because the media and journalists are too busy trying to sell newspapers. But why wouldn't that? Why wouldn't an exploration of those things sell newspapers? Because having an opinionated article written on a Richmond or a Collingwood and their flaws, or why their players aren't re-signing or something, is going to have more sex appeal to it, if you will, than having an article about what North Melbourne and what West Coast are doing right, or a special article on how the impact this coach or this particular person of the club is doing right to ensure that the club is having the success or the reason the club's doing so well and making the aid or playing competitive football is because of this, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Um, and to me, that, again, depressingly talks speaks to the increasing superficiality of the, of the modern media, which you can apply to a range of subjects, not just football, but it's that sort of... It's 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 surface deep stuff. It's it's you know, um, well, it's good news for Collingwood because they won, and it's bad news for Carlton because they lost by 109 points. Yeah, I know that. I've seen it. I've read the scores. Tell me why Carlton lost by 109 points. Tell me why Carlton's rebuilding isn't proceeding with the pace some people would have hoped. And and I I think yeah, look. I'm, I'm not saying that uh, I'm representative of the footy public. Maybe I come from a generation where the interest levels were uh, were deeper. Maybe that's a reflection of society at large in terms of, you know, does anyone have the time now to devote to, to developing that level of understanding? Or, um, you know, are there too many distractions now? Is there too much of everything for any one particular thing to grab anyone to the level where they they want to increase their knowledge of it to, um, you know, a, a more than skin deep um, analysis of why something happens. I well, find that really depressing. Well, I would say, you know, you look at, again, bringing up Richmond as an example, Damien Hardwick. Damien Hardwick came out after the grand final and said, you know, last year in particular, the, the grand final year, he had a real emotional connection with the players, right? And that was a story to come out of why they were so successful, the closeness between the group and the ability to play for each other, right? But if you were to see that in a newspaper on one page compared to Nathan Buckley, his contract up, you know, uh, and and somebody's got a scoop on it. You're more than likely going to sell newspapers with that story over the emotional story of a of a Richmond football club. You probably are. Getting back to the initial point here, though, you, you are. If there is some substance to the Nathan Buckley story, but uh, this is what I'm getting at. I mean, w- okay. with the um, you know, with the uh, Dustin, you know, if you heard that, then that was my Siri going on, thinking I was asking it about Nathan Buckley. I don't think Siri knows the answer to that. No. Shut up, Siri. Get back to me in six months when this stuff is actually resolved. That's my point, Siri. That's why I don't use Siri, Never Carl. gives us the right answers. No, never. Um, but, you know, like if there's some substance attached to that, so an insider at Collingwood has said there's no way Bucks is going to be coaching next year. Yeah, fair enough. Go for your life. But, you know, cards, um, cards clubs and players are pretty good at 
keeping their cars close to their chest in those things. So mm. have a look at Dustin Martin. You know, we had six months of speculation about, you know, Dustin had dinner at this restaurant with this person, so therefore he must be doing this, you know. It was all crap in the end. I mean, really, no one really knew other than him and his dad and his manager, and they probably didn't know until a short time before he announced the decision. So all that six months of, of stuff about Dustin Martin, will he go here, will he go there, it was all founded on not very much. Yeah. So I'm not saying don't report this stuff at all. I'm saying if there is actually something of substance there, you know, as someone has said, listen, I, you know, someone who actually knows goes, look, I can tell you, you know, Jordan Degoe will definitely be a North Melbourne player next year and can give you a bit of evidence as to why that'll happen. Go for your life. But I'm not seeing much of this reporting at all that has any sort of substance to it. it it's it's founded on, you know, an off-the-cuff quote, you know, a, a former player turned commentator makes on a radio show or something like that. You know, that just bores the crap out of me. I'd much rather be reading about stuff we actually know has happened or mm. will happen and why it's happening. Mm. Get yeah. my drift? Yeah, no, I do. I get your drift. This is probably an explanation as to why I'm not running a major media organisation <laughs> now. I mean, you know, the whole thing about clickbait, uh, I don't get either because, you know, people say clickbait on newspaper websites draws more people in to read those websites. My argument to that is it it draws in the sort of people that aren't ever going to hang around and keep reading your news site and it pisses off the loyal readership that you've established already. So, you know, the the sort of short-term versus long-term. And um, unfortunately, I think that's, to a degree, what has happened with the football media. There's just not enough concentration on the stuff that actually makes the competition tick, i.e. the games and the players and the coaches and the wins and the losses. And there's too much of this sort of eerie-fairy, arbitrary speculation about stuff which quite often, in the case of free agency, doesn't eventuate. Mm -hmm. And you sort of look back and you think, well, gee, that was six months wasted speculating about something that didn't happen. We could have spent that talking about uh, something that actually did happen yeah, and explore that more deeply. Yep. But, you know, hey, we're living in a world where uh, a major football stadium is about to be known as Marvel Stadium. So I guess anything's possible, isn't it, Carl? Yeah, well, that's an appeal for children. They're going to want to go to Marvel Stadium and they're going to want to have their parents take them to Marvel Stadium so that they can buy themselves a, a figurine of their favourite comic character and watch some of their favourite players, potentially. I'm tipping then that it's not going to be many more children go to Marvel Stadium because it's called Marvel Stadium. Well, what's next? We're going to have McDonald's partner as an actual stadium name and they're going to build one of those McDonald's uh, play centres out the front. Is that what's going to happen? I think that has happened, hasn't it? Hasn't that happened somewhere? What? I don't know. Has, has oh, it? I don't know. I don't uh, know. It's all too depressing, Carl, but true. I'm back in town and so you get a very negative media watch. That's what happens. But I'm quite happy to go back to China if um, if people think I'm being too negative. All right, that's media watch for this week. Time to move on. On Footyology, previews with Punch. All right, you heard it. With Punch, that means we zip through them, but uh, still give you all the detail you've come to know and love. Round 10 kicks off Friday evening at... Etihad Stadium, soon to be Marvel Stadium, 
sorry, 7.50pm, Collingwood taking on the Western Bulldogs. The Bulldogs shocking in Adelaide last week, and the Pies getting the job done against St Kilda without uh, being anything spectacular. I don't know, whenever the Bulldogs play at Etihad captain, I've always got this sort of thing in the back of my mind that they might come good. That said, pretty hard to be tipping a side that can manage only two goals in a game, and the Pies... Played there last week, of course, against the Saints, who have historically handled the ground reasonably. And I'm not sure the Pies have been great at Etihad, but they did enough there. They're in good enough form. I think you've got to go with form there and the Pies for me. What do you reckon? I think there's only going to be a couple of goals in it. Uh, I, I think the Pies will win it, but yeah, I think it's going to be a better game than what people expect. Yeah, no, I agree, and we uh, we haven't had some great Friday night games this season, so let's hope it is for the uh, neutrals out there. Friday mm. night footy hasn't been great so far this season. Uh, Saturday afternoon, one forty-five pm at the G, Richmond, your Tigers taking on St Kilda, and a rare loss for the Tigers over in Perth last week. Tough road trip. Uh, the Saints... Look, I don't know. They, they, it was a pretty diabolical last quarter by both teams in that Collingwood-St Kilda game. The Saints are really struggling, aren't they? And, of course, this game uh, last year... Uh, no, that was Eddie at Stadium where St Kilda fixed them up, wasn't it? The MCG return game, I think, was also an incredibly boring game. And I've got to admit, when I think of St Kilda now, I think boring football. Mm. They, they haven't got a lot to recommend them. I'm a big believer in the bounce-back theory, Carl, and I think Richmond having... Gone home from Perth with their collective tail between their legs will be very keen to give a good account of themselves. And, of course, playing on the MCG, where I think they've now won, is it 12 or 13 games in a row? They play it better than anyone. I think the Tigers are going to come out angry and, frankly, make mincemeat of the Saints. Yeah, the reality is that uh, Richmond play the MCG better than any other football club in in the AFL right now, as it stands. Uh, I know they're my team and I am biased, but I, I, I really find it hard to pick St Kilda, so Bridgman for me. All right, let's move on. Saturday, twilight, 4.35pm. Brisbane coming off a terrific win over Hawthorne, the icebreaker for the Lions after quite a lot of near misses so far this season. And they take on the Swans, who, in typical fashion, just keep getting the job done. They uh, made very short work of Fremantle at home. Last week, uh, sort of got that danger game feel about it. This hasn't it for yeah. the Swans. Yep, I agree 100%. And Brisbane are really starting to make the Gabba a bit of a fortress, kind of like what Adelaide do with the Adelaide Oval. Or the Gabbatoir, as they used to call it during the Premiership days. All right, the Gabbatoir. Maybe they're uh, reigniting the Gabbatoir. So I, I think it's, I think it's going to be closer than what a lot of people think. I'm actually going to tip Brisbane. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, that's not madness. I can understand you. Arguing a case for the Lions. Uh, look, were it anyone else, I'd, I'd be more tempted to go the upset. But, I don't know, look, the Swans are a pretty reliable conveyance, I think. And, um, you know, they, they'd be conscious, I think, of the need to back up a, a good win at home with uh, a win on the road against an opponent that's up and about. And um, they, oh, you'd like to be placed sort of where they are now. But in fact, they're developing a interesting sort of record lately of dropping games at home and winning the games on the road. They seem to play better on the road than at home, funnily enough, and uh, certainly the case when they beat Hawthorne at the G a couple of weeks ago. So, yes, it's a gabber, and yes, the Lions, I think, are a reasonable chance. Perhaps a bit of a letdown 
uh, emotionally there's a, a chance there of a bit of a letdown after such a good performance last week. So I'm going with the old reliables and the Swans for me. You're going for the upset and Brisbane just, to win. Just quickly as well, the last time the Lions met Sydney up at the Gabba was the 1st of May 2016, so two years ago, and yep. the Swans only won by three points. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Just, yes. just a fun fact for you there. Yeah, no, nice work from you there, Carl. I like that. I like that stuff. And AFL Tables is a great website if yes. you need to look yep. up these facts very quickly. Let's go to, uh, <laughs> we're talking about renamed stadiums. GMHBA Stadium, formerly known as Skilled Stadium, formerly known as Simmons Stadium, formerly known as Shell Stadium, traditionally known as Cadinia Park. And 7.35pm Saturday evening, a Saturday night game at the Cattery. The Cats taking on Carlton. Now, here's a fun fact for you, Carl. The last time the Blues played at Cadinia Park was 1997. All the way back in round 20, 1997, uh, Geelong won that game, just for the historically minded. But uh, fair to say the Blues don't have a lot of familiarity with the ground, which quite seriously is um, the most unique in the competition now. It's, it's, very, it's long and it's narrow and a lot of sides get into trouble kicking the ball out of bounds on the full on the very tight wings and flanks of uh, the Cattery. So, mm. look, Carlton, what can you say? 109 points last week against Melbourne. Um, having come off uh, their first win against Essendon the week before, Cats really disappointing against the Bombers last week. You don't see them often t- turn in a couple of bad ones in a row, particularly at home. This is the uh, the most pronounced home ground advantage in the competition. I think they'll take suitable advantage of that and win very, very, very comfortably. Yeah, it'd be hard to see uh, Carlton travel to Kittany Park and get the win there, so Geelong comfortably. All right, another big game. Good um, good Saturday night game, this one. Uh, GWS taking on Essendon. Now, uh, I reckon three weeks ago or two or three weeks ago, you would have looked at this and thought, oh, God, it's going to be very one-sided. Well, you wouldn't say that's the case now. The Bombers, of course, turning things around with that great win over Geelong last week. And the Giants, three losses in a row. And, in fact, have won only one of their last five games because they had, prior to the three losses, they had a win and a draw, uh, struggled to a draw against St Kilda. So this is the worst run of form they've had since they became a, a half-decent side under Leon Cameron. So we're talking a good three years. They're in a bit of strife. Injuries have really taken a toll there. And, um, look, they play pretty well at Spotless Stadium. They're home. Um, but they're they're in strife. What happens here? Yeah, well, both teams have been injury hit, unfortunately. You look at the injuries for GWS, Toby Green, Josh Kelly, Tom Scully, just to name a few of their key players. And even Phil Davis is a 50-50 at this stage with concussion. Uh and not to say Essendon haven't been hit with a few injuries as well. Their key forward, Joe Danaher, we've seen as a massive hit for them. Andy Michael Ma- Hurley. Ma- Michael Hurley and Andy McGrath as yep. well shows a lot of potential as a youngster. I, I think the Giants at home just narrowly, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Essendon got within a kick. Well, I've got to say, as much as I loved uh, what the Bombers did last week, it's pretty hard to tip them with any sort of confidence. And they've developed a sort of disturbing pattern of winning games they're not expected to and dropping those that uh, they're expected to win. So, actually, that raises an interesting question. Is this a game they're expected to win or lose? I can't make up my mind. Um, 
Look, I, I think this is a bit of a must-win for the Giants. I mean, look, if the Bombers are going to keep their flickering finals hopes alive, they have to win as well. But the Giants, you know, for a side that most people I thought would be comfortably top eight and potentially top four or, or better, um, they have to find something immediately, I reckon. And, uh, yeah, look, I, I think at home, I'd, I'd, I think it'll be tight. Um, and Essendon have actually pushed them there a couple of times previously, but though it'll be tight, I'm going for the Giants to win that one. Mm. Did you tip the Giants there? I did, yeah, okay. narrowly. All right, let's move to Sunday. Now, this uh, arguably game of the round, oh, it's, look, it's up there. It's interesting. Hawthorne taking on West Coast. Um, the eyebrow-raising part of this one is the venue. Why is this at Etihad Stadium, not the MCG? Who can tell? It's uh, maybe Hawthorne wanted to get a advance on the Marvel Stadium home thing. But um, Hawthorne West Coast, Captain, who wins that one? Yeah. Uh, I personally would really like to see Hawthorne defeat the Eagles. That way, if Richmond do win, then <laughs> the Eagles and Richmond are on par again because then the Eagles will have another loss. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tip Hawthorne. The home team, uh, I think they play Eddie had a little bit better than what West Coast do. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it could go either way, that game. Uh, Eagles' record at Eddie had isn't that bad. I mean, we talk a lot about them at the MCG. Uh, but their Eddie had record is okay. They've won there already this year. They're, um, what are they on the road this year? I think they're three out of three on the road this year. So they're, they're okay when they jump on a plane, which hasn't always been the case. Uh, Hawthorne, yeah, be disappointing coming back from the Gabba and losing up there. So it's a good chance for them, I think, to re-establish their top eight credentials. But uh, And, look, you could argue the Eagles have won eight in a row. They're due to drop one. But, uh, again, on form, pretty hard to tip against them. And uh, haven't they got some uh, big men on song at the moment? Jack Darling. He's kicked, uh, what is it, 28, 29 goals. He's averaging three goals per game, darling. Mm. Six last week. He and Kennedy up forward. Uh, gee, I'm not sure the Hawks have enough down back to counter that. So provided they get enough um, supply out of the middle, I'm going for the Eagles to win on the road. Yeah, one thing that could hurt the Eagles is the fact that Elliot Yo uh, is a 50-50. He did injuries knee late in the game against Richmond. So I, I, he's a major ball winner for, for the Eagles. Uh, if he doesn't play, it might have a bit of an impact in their midfield. All right, we'll keep an eye on that one. And the second game on Sunday, remembering, of course, this week there's only eight games. Yep. The Suns and the Power having played in Shanghai get the week off. I, unfortunately, having been in Shanghai, don't get the week <laughs> off. But Melbourne playing Adelaide. Now, this has to be game of the round, I would have thought. Again, in a interesting venue, Tregear Park in Alice Springs, which uh, Melbourne has now played at four times and won one set, which was mm. against Gold Coast last year. And I think even in that game, it basically relied on a half of decent footy. Now, this is a great test for the Demons. They've knocked over Essendon. They've knocked over St Kilda. They've knocked over Gold Coast and Carlton. So... They've had great form over the last four weeks, but they're not. In, they shouldn't have been dropping any of those games. I guess that in itself is a victory of sorts. They've won fourteen quarters in a row, and they seem to have overcome this thing about having a, a shocking quarter where they just disappear, which has cost them greatly. Having said all that, Adelaide, I think, given the injuries they've had this season, have uh, soldiered on brilliantly, and certainly you'd think upping the. Um, quality of resistance in the ranks there, the way they've been able to keep the wins 
ticking over whilst having so many quality players out. I think that in terms of games lost to injury um, in the best 22, they're, they're far and away number one on the table. So it's a good test for the Demons, and Adelaide just have to keep sort of plugging away until the likes of Tex Walker get back in the fold. Uh, I'm going for the Crows. I, I just think, um, yeah, well, it's pretty obvious they're a decent side. They're going to have that question mark about the big occasion until they win a grand final, simple as that. But um, you'd hope Melbourne gives a pretty good account of itself and certainly would have built up plenty of confidence in the lead-up to this game. Uh, but I can't go against Adelaide. I think they're good enough to handle the venue, be it uh, Adelaide Oval, the MCG, or, as is the case, Alice Springs. See, Adelaide have never travelled up to T.O. to play a game of football, mm. So, and the conditions are not your average conditions. It's not T.O., though, Carl. T.O. is Darwin. Oh, T.O. Oh, and Tregear is uh, Alice Springs. Okay, well, Tregear, my bad. Uh, I knew it was up in the Northern Territory. I was close. Uh, well... I- I, I still think the conditions, Melbourne have played there up in the Northern Territory four times compared to Adelaide who haven't played up there before. So on that basis and the fact that Adelaide have got injuries and I know that they've still been good Adelaide, I'm going to tip Melbourne and I reckon Melbourne comfortably. Okay, all right, big call, mm. says the captain. That's my Melbourne big call. comfortably, okay. And round 10 finishes off with Fremantle playing North Melbourne. Now, this is interesting too, given how good North have been. Certainly a big surprise packet this season. Great win over GWS in Tassie last week. Freo, pretty ordinary indeed against the Swans at the SCG. In fact, I'm wondering if Freo are taking over the sort of traditional West Coast role of flat-track bullies. Their record at Optus Stadium this season is pretty good. They've won four out of five, and the only one they lost was to the Eagles, and they've been pretty ordinary away. North Melbourne, as good as they've been, and, and as you know, Carl, I've been a big believer in the Roos mm. and a big supporter of the Roos, but they have gone win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Well, no, sorry, well, gave that one too many. They've gone win-loss for the last five weeks now. Um, always tough to win in Perth, regardless of form. Uh, and I think Freya will be pretty chastened by that pretty limp showing against the Swans and will be keen to make a point. So as much as I rate the Roos and love what they've done so far in 2018, I think Freo wins that one. Another fun fact, the last two times these two teams have met the game has been decided by a kick. Frio have won the last two games by uh, four and five points. Uh, on that basis, you would think that Fremantle would win the game again. However, I'm tipping North Melbourne. All right, there you have it. Let's bring it on home. On Footyology, never again. All right, you know how it works. We make a solemn vow to a never again say or do Something which we have regretted. Uh, my one, Carl, is never again will I underestimate the flakiness of today's footballer. And I'm speaking, of course, of my beloved Bombers and their capacity to lose to the previously winless Carlton two weeks ago and then turn it around and play an absolute corker of a game against the Cats last Saturday night, and all the things that have been missing suddenly turned up. The uh, midfielders were working hard defensively. The forward pressure, which had been notably absent, suddenly returned. What drove that sort of turnaround, Carl? Was it the pressure coming from the media? Was it the uh, removal of Mark Neald from his coaching post? What was it? 
Well, what it says to me is that today's footballer is a flaky conveyance indeed, Carl, uh, subject to the various uh, whims of life and the pitfalls of uh, society and uh, biorhythms. I don't know what it is, but he's, uh, he's a very complex creature and he can be up one minute and down the next. So never again will I underestimate how flaky football can be in season 2018. Fair point. Never again will I get a perfect nine in footy tipping. Oh, that's a very defeatist attitude. Actually, when was the last time you got a perfect nine in footy tipping? I had a very good season last year. Yeah. Uh, I reckon I got three rounds of perfect nine this year. I don't think I'm going to get one. Well, I've got to say, I don't think I've tipped the card for... I reckon I haven't tipped the card for about three years. Mm. I got seven last week. Was seven okay last week, or was it about par for the course? Well, my app said I was outstanding, and I got six, so I took that as a compliment. Oh, okay. Well, that might get me back to about mid-table from the uh, depths of despair in which I've been in tipping terms. Okay, that's it for this week. Uh, Thanks for your assistance, mate. Two weeks in a row, you've done a sterling job, and... uh, you won't be going anywhere because you'll be panelling, producing and making this whole podcast happen. So thank you very much for your efforts both behind and in front of the microphone. Thanks for having me again, Roko. It's been fun. And uh, Mark Fine, wherever you are, we'll uh, hopefully see you back for the next edition of the Footyology podcast. Have a great weekend of footy, everyone. We'll catch you soon. Go Tigers.